Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Marriage, divorce, and the role of women in the Catholic Church are some of the topics of this edition of Radio Curious, the second of two visits with Father Tom Rees, a member of the Society of Jesuits. Martha McCabe, our guest host for this program, is a retired higher education legal counsel and civil rights attorney with a master's degree in history and creative writing. Brought up as a Roman Catholic, she graduated from Jesuit Santa Clara University in California and is now a secular Buddhist. As a novelist, she was a guest on Radio Curious in 2006. Father Tom Reese entered the Jesuits in 1962 and was ordained in 1974. Currently, he is a senior analyst with the National Catholic Reporter and a member of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. When Father Reese and Martha McKay visited by phone on August 14, 2015, she began their conversation by inquiring about marriage in the Catholic Church. While the Vatican views marriage as a sacred pact between two people, it forbids its priests from entering into that union. I don't think marriage is a magic bullet. I think what it is is we're all called we're all called to be compassionate and forgiving and loving. Uh, you know, and, you know, each of these, these celibate men came from a family. Uh, they, you know, they have brothers and sisters. They have, uh, uh, you know, they are uncles to, uh, to people. So, I, you know, I wouldn't read them out uh, entirely uh, as being totally incapable of relating uh, to to uh, family experiences. The other issue, of course, is that if 50% of the people whose opinions were being shared were women, that the church would save itself some obvious pitfalls. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, having women at the table when decisions are made makes a big difference. I mean, we've noticed this uh, having lay people, having women, uh, having uh, people of different uh, races and ethnicities. We're a 1.2 billion member organization. We need to, you know, when decisions are made uh, for the church, we need to be listening to as many people as possible uh, and people from different groups, different age groups, everything. I forget if it was Pope Benedict, St. Benedict or someone who said, you know, when a decision that is, is made that's, that's binding on people, those people should be consulted before the decision is made. Given the internal structure and process of the U.S. Catholic Church as resting with the authority of the bishops, I wonder if you could talk about what prospect is there for any change in the agenda? Well, I mean, the, the church is, is is organized in a hierarchical, with a hierarchical structure. I mean, that's that's what we have today. And uh, if if that's going to work, then the bishops have to be very consultative. They have to listen. They have to bring people together and not just talk to them. 
they also have to listen to them. This is extremely important. And this is something that Pope Francis is modeling. In the past, these synods have been absolutely awful because, uh, you know, before they happened, various Vatican bureaucrats would go around and tell the bishops, their, you know, which topics they could not bring up. Uh, and uh, as a archbishop, Pope Francis experienced that, and he didn't like that. He did not like that at all. Uh, he felt that the purpose of the Synod was to advise the Pope, uh, not to tell him what he already knew. And uh, sadly, in the past, uh, these Synods were, were more an opportunity for bishops to come together to profess their loyalty to the Pope and to the Vatican than to actually give him advice. So at this last Synod, the Pope gave a very, you know, a short uh, address at the very beginning. And he told them to speak boldly, you know, and, and not to worry about disagreeing with him. Uh, it was an absolutely remarkable speech uh, that we would not have heard from the last two popes, frankly. This is a whole change in tone and attitude in the, in the church. And my hope is that the bishops will imitate the Pope in this, and that they will go to parishes, they will go to their priests, they will go to their people and say, tell me the truth, tell me what you think, speak boldly, you know, even if you think I'm going to disagree with you. And the bishops got to sit there and listen. I think one of the things we have to do as a church, as both priests and bishops, is spend a lot more time listening uh, than we did in the past. And this is something that the Pope is modeling uh, for all of us. And what do you think is on his list of the things that he wishes to do as long as he is Pope? Well, I think one thing that has very clearly come up is his concern that divorced and remarried uh, Catholics are banned from going to communion. I think he sees communion not as a reward for the good, but as nourishment for uh, everyone, for the wounded. And uh, I think he would like to see that change. But there's a lot of bishops who feel that if they change that, then they're somehow giving up on the indissolubility of marriage. So uh, this is a discussion uh, that uh, is going to be ongoing in the church, and uh, uh, I'm not sure where it's going to end up, frankly. Uh, but it's you know it, it, this is you know this is a, uh, a church with long tradition, uh, with uh, a, a collection of teachings that can't change quickly. It takes time. It takes a lot of conversation, a lot of theological dialogue and uh, research a lot of rethinking of how we do things. There are a lot of people in the church who just want to keep doing things the way we've always done them. And then there are others who want to see change right now. Uh, and he has to preside over this church, uh, which has uh, these kinds of conflicts and disagreements, and hold us all together as we move along this pilgrimage. Speaking of theology, what is the reason for the belief uh, in the permanency of marriage or the indissolubility of marriage? Well, it's, it's based basically on the words of Jesus, what God has joined together, let no uh, man put asunder. Um, uh, 
You know, in fact, you know, the way I look at it, frankly, is that the uh, teaching against divorce was the first feminist legislation uh, in the world because it was basically to protect women. You know, in a patriarchal society, a man could just, hey, she's not pretty anymore, she, she's a bad cook, and toss her out. And if a woman was tossed out by her husband, she had no means of support. She would become a beggar or a prostitute. It wasn't like she, uh, she had an education that she could support herself. She couldn't go back to her family because she was considered a disgrace because she'd been thrown out by her husband. So the teaching against divorce was a way of protecting women. I mean, all you have to do is look at Henry VIII. Uh, every time he got tired of one of his wives, he threw her out. Well, you know, this is what happens when men have total power. Uh, they treat women badly. Yes, and in today's world, unfortunately, that sometimes translates into pastoral, and not just in the Catholic Church, but in other faith traditions, into advising women to stay with abusive husbands because divorce is regarded as a sin. So times change, social context change. Exactly. And then, so we can ask ourselves, should the the teaching of the church, can the teaching of the church change? Now, many people, uh, for example, Cardinal uh, Kasper, uh, who's a, a brilliant German theologian and a cardinal in the church, and a good friend of Pope Francis, has proposed that the Catholic Church learn from the experience of the Greek Orthodox churches, where divorce is permitted and remarriage is permitted. There, what the Orthodox do is they have a penitential service where the people who are involved in a divorce stand before God and acknowledge any anything they did that contributed to the divorce, ask for God's compassion and forgiveness, and then they can be civilly married and allowed to return to communion. The Catholic Church has great respect for the Orthodox uh, churches, recognizes their sacraments, their bishops as being legitimate bishops, their priests as being legitimate priests, So can we learn from them? And I think this is something that we should examine. And that's one of the things that came up at the Synod of Bishops and is a possible route that the church may go in. But there were other bishops who thought this was a terrible idea. And so the debate is is continuing. One of the things that happens in any human organization, I believe, is is that when you have an absolute prohibition, a group develops workarounds. And of course, in the church, historically, it has been the monetizing of annulments. Well, if, if that happened, it would be a true abuse. You know, what is basically uh, there in, in most dioceses is the people are asked to make a contribution. Frankly, it's an expensive process. You have to have a whole staff. You have to have canon lawyers to do this. In most dioceses in the United States, if you can't afford it, the the fee is waived. And this issue came up also at the Synod of Bishops, where uh, some of the bishops said this should... There should be no fee for this process. It should be free, and which means, of course, that we'll have to figure out a way to finance it otherwise from the collection basket or something. And that is probably the best way to do it, because I think if you charge a fee, it begins to look like, okay, you're, you're buying an annulment, whereas in, 
in actuality, you're, you're charged a few hundred dollars, uh, where, of course, a legal divorce would be costing thousands of dollars. You're listening to an interview with Father Tom Reese, S.J., who is a senior analyst with the National Catholic Reporter. Our guest host for this interview is retired attorney and author Martha McCabe. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Would you describe yourself as a feminist? Oh, I, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure how to answer that question. I certainly, as a male celibate, avoid ever having the appearance of speaking for women. I think my mother was a feminist. She was way ahead of her times. Uh, she was a teacher in a public school who had to fight for equal pay for women. Uh, I heard stories uh, about uh, how uh, she was poorly treated uh, and discriminated against because she was a woman. I think I got a good education on some of these issues, but I wouldn't want to take on the title of being a, a feminist. I think that's uh, something that women uh, should, uh, should have for themselves. I remember writing an article years ago before the turn of the century, uh, making the point that women in the church, I felt at that time, and I still feel it is one of the most important, if not the most important issue uh, facing the Catholic Church in the 21st century. The Catholic Church can simply not survive without women, and it's, it's poor uh, without the contribution of women in the church. You know, on the other hand, I think uh, one of the things that neither women nor the Vatican recognize is that women are uh, already extremely influential in the Catholic Church today. And women are the people who pass on the faith to the next generation. It's not the priests. The priests have all of 10 minutes preaching from the pulpit on Sunday. Uh, women interact with children 24-7. Over 80% of the religious educators in the Catholic Church are women. They're the ones who are passing on the faith to the next generation. They're going to determine what the faith of the Church is in the future, whether the men think they're controlling things or not. This is happening, whether the clergy, whether the bishops like it or not. Uh, women are becoming more and more uh, influential and in you know in many ways this is more uh, this has a greater impact than what offices uh, they hold everything you said supports the pained genuinely pained reaction of many people both inside and outside the church in light of the previous pope's approach in tenor tone and substance to the leadership conference of women religious for the very reasons that you said, that the broad base of Catholics and those of us who pass through the church and have great debts of gratitude to our former teachers, um, it really hit a raw nerve. And I don't think the Vatican fully understood how much it put itself outside the hearts and minds of people when it t took on the, the women religious. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. You know, it was part of a pattern of the last two papacies. For us who are old enough to remember the Second Vatican Council in the uh, early 60s, uh, this was a time when there was a great openness in the 
in the Catholic Church. A lot of conversation, a lot of debate about the direction the Church should go to and, and uh, what changes uh, should happen. Uh, after the Second Vatican Council, things kind of got closed down. Debate was silenced. Conversations were cut off. And I think there were two groups that uh, got suppressed by uh, uh, the Vatican during that time. Women religious uh, uh, were one group they, because they very uh, they they took the Second Vatican Council very seriously in rethinking their ministries and rethinking their mission and and really doing absolutely wonderful things. The other group that also got suppressed were theologians. You know the people who were doing the creative thinking and writing. Uh, and they were told, stop thinking and simply repeat whatever you hear from the Vatican. And the nuns were told exactly the same thing. Stop talking and stick to the uh, talking points you get from the Vatican. And these were intelligent, creative women uh, who could not be silenced. And I think the Vatican just didn't know how to deal with educated women at the end of the 20th century. And this pope does. Pope Francis got very much involved in uh, Buenos Aires with uh, working against uh, human trafficking because that was one of the things he heard from women in the slums. They were terrified that their daughters would be kidnapped and then trafficked. And so uh, he got very much involved in the fight against human trafficking in Argentina. He's used to working with intelligent, smart women Frankly, he's, he does have a problem with women. He doesn't know feminist language. I would not call him a feminist <laughs> in that sense. He doesn't have the vocabulary uh, for talking about women the way women talk about themselves in the, in the, uh, in the first world. Uh, his experience of women was not uh, people who were complaining because they, uh, they weren't CEO or they weren't made a partner in the law firm. His experience of women were uh, uh, people who were, you know, needed jobs, whose husbands needed jobs, and who were poor, who were worried about human trafficking, their daughters being kidnapped. He doesn't have that much experience with how women talk about themselves in the first world. As a result, he will say things that just great on feminists in the United States, and uh, that that's going to be an ongoing problem. I want to switch gears here and go um, from the concerns of, let us say, people in the first world, people in the economically developed North, um, to issues of war and peace, and ask you about how the Pope sees issues of war and peace as he looks at the globe. In what, what hot spots, uh, if he looks at a heat map of the globe in conflict terms, uh, what does he see and what, does he, what has he responded to in your experience? Well, this is, this is a very interesting uh, issue because, of course, uh, he had absolutely zero experience as a diplomat before he became pope. One of the better offices, one of the more professional offices in the Vatican is the Secretary of State. It's kind of their, their you know, uh, foreign ministry. And he brought in a, a new man to be the uh, Secretary of State. Uh, and who's a very, very good professional diplomat. 
So on a lot of issues, here he listens to the professionals, because the Vatican has been pushing for peace and dialogue on the international level for, well, uh, almost for centuries, I guess you could say. They've been very criti- you know, uh, critical of wars. Uh, Pope Francis, of course, is, is walking into this mess that we have internationally, especially in the Middle East, and is trying to to encourage dialogue, try, you know, encourage peaceful resolution of these, of these issues and these problems. Uh, so, you know, he visited uh, the Holy Land, he visited Palestine, he visited Israel, you know, trying to, to talk about peace, the importance of dialogue, the importance of respect for human rights. Um, so uh, this is the kind of thing that he is doing. He's very concerned about what's happened to the Christians in the Middle East. Uh, you know, frankly, the Christians were doing pretty well under Saddam Hussein. They were doing pretty well under Assad in, in Syria. And now they're, they're a mess. Uh, they're getting caught between these fights. They're being persecuted by these fundamental fundamentalists. These, uh, uh, the Islamic State uh, is killing uh, Christians. Uh, this is, uh, 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 you know, a disaster area for Christians, and uh, and he's trying to do what he can to help Christians there and help bring about dialogue that can move towards peace. So this is certainly a, a, a focus area for him. But he's also, you know, looked, because of his background in Latin America, he's looked to see how can we improve things here. And, of course, he, was, uh, uh, he, he helped uh, bring about, a, you know, an improvement in relations between the United States and Cuba. Uh, and uh, use and so that uh, Cuban officials and American officials were meeting secretly in the Vatican uh, to work out the reestablishment of diplomatic relations between the United States and Cuba, and he was encouraging that. Uh, in fact, he's going to visit Cuba before he comes to the United States. He'll be flying from Cuba to the United States, which is going to be quite remarkable. So he, uh, even though he did not have any experience in international relations before he became pope, certainly he's, uh, his agenda is, uh, is to work for better understanding between religions and better understanding between peoples uh, so that we can move to peace. Now, of course, the other thing is that he's very concerned about is... is uh, uh, dealing with poverty, and and uh, because he he realizes that this contributes also uh, to to war, we have to get to the roots of of conflicts, and often these are economic. Father uh, Thomas J. Reese uh, of the Society of Jesuits, I want to thank you very much for uh, being with us on Radio Curious and for answering uh, the questions of Martha McCabe. And before we close, I'd like to ask you the same questions I ask of each of my guests. Uh, The first one being, could you tell us about uh, an aha or eureka moment in your life that changed the course of your life or the philosophy by which you live? Well, you know, I think for me it was uh, probably, you know, it it occurred in prayer uh, where I 
began to recognize that God was not just the judge, uh, not just, uh, you know, this guy with a lot of rules that I had to obey, uh, but was someone who loved me as I am who I am. Uh, it just, it, it, it causes you to approach things in a lot of different ways. You're no longer trying to earn God's love by being a good boy, a good child, but recognizing that God loves you. And then you respond to that love. You, you know, you still uh, uh, want to be good, but it, you're not being good in order to earn God's love or keep out of hell, but you're, you're, you're being good because you're responding to that love that God has for you. So I would say that was my aha moment. You mentioned just now and earlier in your conversation with Martha McCabe um, about God, referring to God as He. Could you uh, help me understand that? Well, I'm, you know, I'm of an age, <laughs> uh, so that that's kind of the natural thing I still do. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, we know that God doesn't have gender. Uh, in, even in the scriptures, uh, God is sometimes referred to as a mother uh, who gathers her children around her. Uh, I th- you know, uh, I think our conception of God can be enriched by seeing uh, God through feminine characteristics also. Uh, but, you know, we, are, you know, I'm of a generation that grew up, uh, uh, you know, talking about God as he uh, you know, and it's uh, it's hard to change. And uh, uh, Father Thomas Reese, what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Well, I think I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, uh, which I'm I enjoy thoroughly. Uh, I write for the National Catholic Reporter, which is uh, both a print and an online publication at ncronline.org. I love to write. I love to grapple with the issues that are facing the church and the world. Uh, I enjoy that a lot. Uh, this is uh, what I think God is asking me to do with my life right now. Uh, when I hear God asking me to do something else, I'll jump and, uh, and do that. And finally, is there a book or books that you could recommend to our listeners? You know, the book that I, it's, it's not a book, it's the Pope's latest encyclical, Laudato uh, Si. It's his uh, encyclical on the environment. I think the environment is the most important issue we face in the 21st century. We cannot even imagine uh, the devastation that's going to come about because of this. And is this what we want to do to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to to leave uh, such a disaster of uh, apocalyptic dimensions on them. And I think the Pope's encyclical on the environment is extremely important. Father Thomas J. Reese, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Well, I enjoyed it a lot, Barry and Martha. Thank you. Father Tom Reese, S.J., is a senior analyst with the National Catholic Reporter. He's also a member of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, having been appointed by President Obama. The book he recommends is Laudato Si, Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical 
on climate change. Martha McCabe, the guest host for this program, is a retired higher education legal counsel and civil rights attorney. This program was recorded on August 14, 2015. Radio Curious has over 500 archive editions on our website, radiocurious.org, with new programs published weekly. You may stream, download, subscribe to our podcast service, and share them as you wish. They're all free. We appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and comments about our programs and enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.